Good afternoon and welcome to uh, The Love of a Creator, the Theology of the Body series. Josh Rosa and I'm your host and um, maybe you're listening, uh, driving your car, you're listening from home or maybe you're listening on the radio at 540 AM, Selena in Carmel Valley or, or maybe you're listening online at www.jesusthesower.com or on the SNA app or on Apple Music or Spotify or YouTube or wherever these things are being seen, listened to. Um, I just, just, I just want to just mention how much I think theology of the body is needed in this world right now. And, and I know, I know, right, shameless plug, because I'm the one um, hosting this, this uh, live show. Um, but just this, this thought that, that we don't really know how to love each other or how to love ourselves because we don't really know what we were made for. So this, this series is, is so important. This, this, this topic is so important. And I, I hope that as we go along, I can actually um, engage some of my friends and some people that I, I've met over the years of ministry and just get them to, to join us and kind of help us walk through this, this series um, for the next couple of weeks, right, that we're going to be just diving into theology of the body. But I, I just want to just preface all of this saying that um, my, my background is, is in biology, right? I have a degree in, in microbiology. I studied science and I, I wanted to be a PA and God had all these other plans for me. And maybe later on in the series, I'll kind of dive into that a little more. But I remember when, when I was like, I've, I was, I've been in ministry for over a decade at this point, right? And I've been fortunate to travel and to speak and to, to I started as a musician and to play at events and all these things. And, and I, I saw all the importance and all the amazing things God was doing, but it wasn't until I understood the purpose of, of our bodies, the purpose of, of us being here, being present, that I, that I really started to dive into how amazing God is. Right. And, and the, this, this theme, the, the love of a creator, is, is, is it's through right, theology of the body, John Paul II, which the book is on my bookshelf, and, and I'll take it out at some point and just kind of dive into it a little more. But um, I, I really, really have this Augustine view on, on theology of the body. Why? Because St. Augustine has, has this, this, this truth that, that all of nature proclaims God. And he says, right, he says, does God proclaim himself in the wonders of creation? No. All things proclaim him. All things speak. Their beauty is the voice by which they announce God, by which they sing. It is you who made me beautiful. Not me, myself, but you. That is just amazing. That is just so such a beautiful understanding that all things that were created give glory to God in some way or some form, right? Um, St. Augustine, uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, but echoing St. Augustine says that, the desire to love God has been imprinted in your heart, that your heart already knows what it was made for and who it was made to love. And, and we continually put things in front of our heart. Aquinas, St. Thomas of Aquinas says that um, the things that we put in front of our heart, our heart's going to worship, right? Because our heart was made for worship. It was made to love. It was made for beauty. And it was made to show God. And in and, and this series, right, I, I just really want to just dive into these, these parts where, where John Paul II really helps us understand what our creation was made for. Like, we, yes, yes, we, we tend to think that theology of the body, and yes, again, saying yes like a thousand times, because yes, it's true, that we tend to, to take the, the thought that theology of the body is about relationships and only relationships. That's the false part. Yes, it's about relationships, but it's not just about marriage or just about dating or courting. Yes, we're, we'll, we're going to dive into all of that in, in this series. Um, but it's more about our relationship with God, right? And then and everything else streams out of that. Um, in, in a few minutes, we're going to dive into original solitude, which, which is that, that, 
that first part of theology of the body where it's, it's our connection to God. But it's impossible for me to love God's creation without me understanding the creator. This is why the love of a creator, right? It's, it's, it's understanding that, that God has, has this beauty in him that, that allows us to understand everything that he has made in turn, understanding him deeper. This is the beauty of theology of the body. It's that God has revealed himself to us. And, and he allows us to be a part of this relationship. St. John Paul II, St. John Paul II calls it the community of persons. And I'll, I'll dive into that a little later too. But just, just this, this aspect that we were made for each other because we were made for God. And, and scripture says this, right? It says, uh, Psalm 139, one of my favorite Psalms, it says that, that from the beginning, before time was created, God knew you. Like before there was existence, before there was an earth, before there was a, a, a place that you're listening to this to, whatever, your car or your home, your room, wherever you are listening to, before that thing existed, before the people that you love existed, before the world around you existed, God knew you and he had something for you. And it says that he wrote your name in the book of life and he knew your bones and he knew everything about you. And I, I think the magnitude, the, the, the grandness, if that's even a word of that, is to understand that we have never, ever, ever been alone. And we have never not been loved. And there's not a single person on this earth that has not been made for love. And, and I, I love that, again, I love that um, Augustine view of it because I, I myself am a creative person, right? I like to, to take videos. I like to take photography. I like to, to create things because that's actually our natural inclination. All, all humans were made to create, right? Yes, yes, Imago's day, image and likeness of God. You were made in a way where, where you can look like Jesus, right? But you were also made to create life. And, and not just that, you were made to create art and you were made to create beauty. Why? Because all beauty reflects God. So in that gift of creativity, God is like, here I am. I'm, I'm here in, in your presence. John Paul II also says in, in, in Theology of the Body, he says that, he says that those who have the vocation to create, right? He calls it a vocation to create. Lack and look to not waste it. They're, they're trying to make sure that they're using this. And, and every human person, I, I don't care if, if you've been lied to and believe it, I'm going to speak against it. You have been given this gift to create. You have been given this beauty in you that allows you to just be present. And it allows you to proclaim the beauty that is God through these gifts. And, and I think, again, echoing just the beginning of this, the reason theology of the body is so important is because it helps us see, helps us see how God is working in us, how God is using us, what God is doing through us, how we can be Jesus to other people. If, if, you, if you don't know this, if you've never heard it, you're called to be Jesus to others, right? You're not just called to, to live your life away from people, right? We were made community. And, and again, one more thing that I'm going to say, I'm going to dive into later, but just, just, just this thought that you were never made to be alone, right? You were made individual. You were made unique. You were made special in your own way, but you were always made to be with other people. Why? Because God has desired that his body, the body of Christ, be one. And the beauty of that is that we are all sharing and intermingling with, with the gifts that we have. Um, John Paul, uh, St. Paul, sorry, says in his letter to, to Corinthians, he says that in every community, every gift is present. Right? He says that, that in that community, every ability, every gift. So he, he's talking about the spiritual gifts, right? And, and again, another thing that I'm going to say, I'm going to dive into later. 
this is just the beginning of this this whole series. So I just kind of want to give a really big um, understanding of the things that we're going to talk about. But he, he says that every spiritual gift is present. He talks about the gift of interpretation of tongues and the gift of tongues and and the gift of prophecy and the gift of healing and all these beautiful gifts that were present in a community to be used by a community because God has always made us to be one. It's called the communion and in the Catholic Church. We understand this to be the communion of saints or where or the church triumphant, which is in heaven, is, is unified, right? And us as the church militant, the church here on earth, are unified to, to our, our siblings, our brothers, our mothers, our sisters, all the saints, all holy women in heaven, right? St. Augustine, St. John Paul II, St. Thomas of Aquinas, all these saints that are in heaven are unified to you and I because we are in the body of Christ. And that gives such a deeper meaning and understanding to life and death and, and our job here as the church militant and and our role is in this particular um, just understanding of, 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 our, of what God is using us for. But again, it's impossible to know what you are made for without knowing who made you. It's impossible to know that, that God has this particular thing in your life if you've never looked for God. And, and that's one of my biggest pet peeves, by the way. I mean, I have to throw this out there because I, I say to my teens all the time, I'm like, my, my biggest annoyance in this world other than people who chew with their mouth open because there's just no need. I get it. Maybe you're savoring the food. Please just, just close your lips. Um, is people who have the audacity to say, I, I went to a retreat. I went to, to mass. I went to youth group. I went to Sunday school, all this stuff. And they say, and I never encountered God. It's impossible to encounter somebody you're not looking for. But even further, it's impossible for you to think or to be so arrogant to think that the God that made everything beautiful in this world needs to show himself to you. It's you that have to find him. And, and the beauty is that God, again, echoing Augustine, God shows himself in everything, in every aspect. He's present because he loves you that much. He does not have to. Right? It's not his obligation. But because of his love for us, he does that. So in this series, I kind of just want to invite um, all those that are listening or watching or whatever whatever platform you might be on, um, to, to just take this time to just unpack what God is saying to you directly, right? Because I can, I can give a message and I can share what John Paul II has and, and shared with us and there's this beauty that is theology of the body and we're going to dive into scripture and, and the catechism of the church and what the church teaches in this, in this whole series. But there is always a unique message, right? When, when we, we, the Holy Spirit speaks to us uniquely, individually, um, Right, and again, not, not, I don't want to uh, take too far away from, from theology of the body, but in, in, in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, when, when, when everyone heard God speak, or they, heard, they heard the message in their own tongue. Yes, it was literal, like literally their own tongue, like whatever language they spoke, they heard it in. But I also want to take that into a spiritual aspect that sometimes God, and, and okay, I have to make this little preface too, because I know that. Some, some people might take this incorrectly, and I, and I don't want to sound heretical in any sense because this is not heretical if it's understood. Um, the church is, the magisterium of the church is always the magisterium of the church. God is never going to speak against his word. He's never going to speak against his teachings. He's never going to speak against his church. So if something you're discerning speaks against one of those things, then you might need to discern a little further. However, God does give us messages that are intended for us to live with, and typically they're about our own personal lives, right? They're not like, they're not like, uh, I don't know, disobey your bishops. That's, that's, not, that's not the message that God has for you, right? That's actually counter to, to God. That's not the Holy Spirit. I don't know what spirit that is, but it's not God. Um, but it is, there are messages that we receive that are intended for us in our personal lives and, and, 
how we how we live and how we minister and our vocations and our callings. And and yes, those are messages that we hear in our own voice. And they're meant to be interpreted and prayed with um, with God. It's, it's pretty simple that like God gives us words because he desires time with us. And and that's the, the beauty of God, that he created us, yes, to be these images of him, but he also created us to be with him, right? to, to be in this communion with him, and ultimately communion with one another. So uh, in a few minutes, we're going to jump to a quick uh, break. But before we, we, we do that, I just, just want to keep in mind that there's a lot of things that are going to be jumping around in this series. Why? Because everything is intertwined. The beauty about God is that, again, Augustine, he's everything and everywhere, and, and there is ties to everything that he says. But what I, what I aim to do is to tie everything back to the beginning of each series. This series in particular is more just of an introduction and just to just kind of get everyone on the same page. Um, well, this episode, sorry. It's just to, just to get everyone on the same page and get everyone together in this particular aspect of it before we dive in deeper. Because theology of the body is such a beautiful thing. And there's so many, so many nuances and so many things that just... We can literally be there for days. Like you can teach an entire course just on original solitude. And we're going to not to not to diminish it in any way, but we're going to try just to hit the major points with it because that's what this particular episode is about. Um, original solitude. And uh, it, it, it can be deep, right? It can be deep. It can be wordy. It can be very, very meticulous to dive into. But that's why I just want to give you like this, this, this uh, I guess, warning ahead of time that some of these things might seem like like they they run on a little longer but that's just because I, I i don't want it to to miss a point i don't want us to, to see this and just or hear this and just be like okay well we just said it and mentioned it and walked away and in the very beginning um of of theology of the body this is this is how we start we start with original solid we start with the reality that that we were made for god and and in Genesis, right, chapter two, we, we hear this, this creation. Well, there's two, two, two accounts of creation, right, in the book of Genesis, and we're not going to dive into that too much because that's a little more scriptural in the sense of, of this. I mean, theology of the body is absolutely scriptural, but what I mean is that theology of the body has a more geared focus as to why we were created opposed to just the different types of creation. So in the original solitude, we start talking about our relationship with God and how when he created us, right, we hear the story of Adam, and they use Adam in there, which Hebrew translates to man or male or female, but the, the reality is that we were made for him. We mentioned that, that we were made uh, individual, right? We were made specifically for God, and, and he created us in a way where it, it was just us. Now, the word says this, right? The, gospel, uh, the book of Genesis, sorry, says that when God made man, he uses man, it means humanity. It doesn't mean male or female, right? There is no actual uh, gender assigned to the creation in, in that beginning, right? It's just later on when, when, when God creates two distinctive genders, and we'll talk about that a little later, um, and the struggles that, that gender ideologies had in this world, uh, and the reality that that's the enemy trying to separate us from the purpose that God has made us for. But that's, that's a whole other thing, and we're not there yet. But when God created man, Right, humanity. The word says that that he he used dust, he used mud, he used dirt. Right, translates to many different things, and he molded this dirt and in a way that that it resembled us. And then it says it says right. The word says that God made 
So God said, let us make man in our image, right? We hear that, and some people are really confused by that statement. What do you mean our image? Is there more than one God? No, it's one God, right? God is God. He has three, three persons in one, right? It's just different understanding of what it is. So you have God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And when God made us in his image, right, it says that he created us in flesh, God, the Son. And he says that he breathed this breath, the Ruah of God, which is actually the creation of God, which is another beautiful, beautiful way to tie into this reality that we were made to create. He breathed the Ruah. He breathed the, 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 the Spirit of God. So you received his Spirit. And then he imprinted himself in your heart. Now, an interesting combination is that the, the ancient Hebrews didn't really understand the concept of a brain versus a heart, right? They thought that they both were inter intertwining, that your thoughts and your, your, your acts were, were both from your, your mind or your heart was the same thing, right? Which is also why um, when you hear scripture mentioned that did not trust your, your heart, right? Because your heart deceives you. It's also mean your mind, right? And that, that tends to happen a lot with overthinkers. I'm one of those people that chronically overthinks. And sometimes you can't trust your mind because there are things that you're making up, scenarios that you're living in, and that are not what they seem to be. And yes, get help, speak to people. They're, it's okay to look for help. I think we have this horrible stigma in the church where we think that, that getting help from like a, a therapist or a psychiatrist or something that it is horrible. It's actually great. Um, you were made physical, spiritual, and emotional, and all those things need to be cared for. You need to go to church. You need community for your spiritual aspect. You, you're physical. You should eat well. You should try to go to the gym. You should try to walk outside. But your mind is also a part of that, right? And if your emotions aren't helped, you can't grow. So God made us, made humanity in that moment. And, and it's, it's, John Paul II talks about its original solitude. It's this moment where it's just you and God. God and his creation. And, and I think it's so beautiful because one of the most powerful forms of prayer is silence, right? It's, it's, it's this, this presence of God with you, right? Where you don't have to do anything extra. You just simply are present. And I think that's by design, right? Because if, if God, when he created humanity, it was just God and his son, his daughter, his creation, right? When God made you, then this needs to be the place that we come back to. And it, it's beautiful because you were made to be present to God. So a lot of times when we, we think this, when we see this, this imagery, um, we, we tend to, to just kind of dismiss it and kind of just say, okay, but that, that was in that moment and that was just a specific thing. When, and, and again, Genesis, right? Catholic Church, maybe I'm not going to assume that any of us actually know this, but the, the book of Genesis is not all literal, right? It's interpretive. There are portions of that that are interpretive. However, I, again, science, my favorite thing in the world. I, I just want to connect two things here. One, biology also agrees that we were made from stardust, right? If you do not know this, you have extremely similar, I think it's like 97% similar DNA to stardust. So when Genesis says that God took dust and composed it together and breathed life into it, biologically, it's not wrong. I mean, you also have the same, uh, about 80% or 81%, the same DNA as a banana, but that's a whole other thing in itself, right? Because God created all things and all things in some level have, have unification, right? Um, but Genesis wasn't wrong, right? It was, it, it technically wasn't wrong. It, it, the book of Genesis, it said that God created you and he, he took dust and breathed into you and here you are. And, and by creation standards, by DNA standards, 
if we, if we match our DNA, it's similar to stardust. So he wasn't wrong. And let's take it a little further. Um, National Geographic recently proved that all humans on this earth, you have an XX chromosome or XY chromosome, that it traces either to Adam or to Eve. Now, they call them scientific Adam and scientific Eve, of course, and, and they believe that they were in this, this uh, coastal lining of Africa. And, of course, again, according to National Geographic, according to the studies that they have done, they also believe that, that there were other people present, um, but that only Adam and Eve were able to replicate, and that that's why their DNA um, was spread out throughout time and generations. So technically, right, even if we want to just make the argument that, that, uh, that Genesis um, wasn't correct, well, technically, according to science, it is. Now, I'm not going to get into semantics. We're not going to sit here and argue about, um, about that, right, about if the Bible was 100% accurate in every sense, we understand as a church, at least a Catholic church, that, that not all Genesis is literal, but there are a lot of things in there that are being proven, that after years and years and years of arguments and, and trying to dismiss it, now science is going back and saying, well, they're kind of right. And if you want to be technical also, the Catholic church, and I'm going a little bit of a tangent here, and I do this, and I promise we're going back to original solitude, there's a point. But for the years... All of these major discoveries have been, in science, have been proven by Catholics. Monsignor Lamatrier, right? The Big Bang Theory, which I actually wrote my, my senior thesis on um, science, and religion, uh, science and religion and how they intertwine. Or uh, Gregory Mendel, who's the father of genetics, who my whole entire, entire discipline, microbiology, is essentially based on. So we have all these amazing people who have, have helped pave the way scientifically that would inadvertently, who are religious people, right, who are, are either religious or priests or nuns, um, who inadvertently helped justify Genesis. So we understand that, that when God made us, when he created humanity, it is testable and justifiable now and matches with Genesis. Now, now we were talking about original solitude, but I, I just need you to understand that this is, as, as far as science is concerned, accurate. That we were created in a way, yes, of course, and we're not going to go into evolution and all those other things. But what I am emphasizing is the biological makeup of, of humanity is ex exactly how the Bible says. And that is just amazing. Because I, I promise you, five, 6,000 years ago, uh, or whatever time frame you want to use in, in Scripture, um, they didn't have the technology we have now. So there's no way that, that this could have been proven. It just had to be known. And again, God is God, and he shows himself through everything beautiful and everything that is intellectual and everything that's deep, you can find God. Now, when God created us, right, we, we, we tend to look at this, this imagery and say, well, okay, but that means that God made me alone. And, and then we hear the story of Eve later, a couple of, chap well, a couple of verses later and all that stuff, right? Before, before we look at that, um, I, I tend to to just kind of look at this reality where a lot of people look at solitude and they equate it with loneliness, right? And original solitude does not mean loneliness. It actually never meant that. Um, we equate that because we tend to, to think that our purpose is tied to people. And it's not. Your purpose isn't tied to, to who you, I mean, yes, it's a part of, of who you are to help people and to serve people, but your purpose isn't tied to people. Loneliness is just the absence of purpose. 
So we, we tend to, to look at this and we tend to think, okay, but I need this kind of person in my life. I need this kind of thing in my life. I need this kind of community in my life and this connection. Yes, yes, you do need community. Yes, you do need connection. But those things do not give you purpose. They're not where your purpose stems from. So when we look at solitude and, and we try to equate it with loneliness, we try to think that solitude means a depreciation or depravity of purpose. It's backwards. Solitude is not a depreciation or depravity of purpose. If anything, it's an affirmation of, of where my purpose comes from. And, and when, I, when I'm able to, to go into this solitude with God, then I'm able to fully unpack the things that he has for me. So this is, again, equating what I said before, just that sometimes the, the most powerful form of prayer is just silence. Like there, there have been times where I'm sitting in a chapel and I'm like, there's so many things running through my head and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I want to talk to God and I just want to pour out everything that I'm struggling with. And sometimes God is just like, shut up, just, just stop. Just sit there. I remember my spiritual director said this to me once. He said, how is it when you're with your dearest bestest friends, right? Like if you have a really good friendship with somebody, you're okay with just sitting there in silence and just being in their presence because their presence means enough to you that you are safe in it. He's like, that's how you should be with God. That, that, that his presence is enough for you because you feel safe in it. And you've learned that silence is, is a way for me to connect to my creator. And it should never be a, a thing where I feel like I need to rush or run or move. Solitude does not equate, equate to loneliness. Solitude should be a place of strength. When we come back to that reality, we then begin to see what our purpose is. We then begin to, to live in what our purpose is. And we get to really dive into this truth that God has made us in a way where we need to recharge. Like he's made us in a way where Okay, God cheated a little bit. Again, Augustine, desire to love God has been imprinted in your heart. That also means that there's a pull to him because he loved you so much. He said, I, I never want you to be away from me. And I never want you to feel like you don't need me. And it's not a sense of validating him, but a sense of validating you. That you never feel like your life, that you got it perfectly without him because in that sense, you go the wrong way. It's, it's about bringing back to God, what we're struggling with, right? It's about bringing back to God this, this, this truth that, that we can't handle everything and that the world is not easy and that without him, it doesn't make sense. So um, looking at original solitude in, in the very beginning of, of Theology of the Body, and, and I find that interesting too, that that's how it starts, right? Theology of the Body, as much as we'd like to equate it again to like relationships and marriage and that kind of vocation, all that stuff, which funny enough, next episode is probably what that's going to be about. Well, not probably it is. Um, it's, it's that it's so much deeper than that. Like it's that first part where, where, where everything starts with just me and God. And everything that, that stems out of that, everything that flows out of that, every relationship that comes after that is because of your relationship with God. Like that's such a deep thought. Like anything healthy that comes from, from my life is because of my healthy relationship with God. And I can turn back to God for everything. So just, just, to, just to reinforce that original solitude, um, it, it means that we are, are, are made to, to have time with God. So 
a, a challenge, right? This is a quick challenge here that I'm going to give uh, anyone that's listening. And, and it's this. It's take 20 minutes of your day, whether it's really early. I mean, if you're really hardcore, maybe a little longer. But if it's something you, you really don't do much, take 20 minutes of your day. No matter what, set a timer. Don't look at your phone. Put your phone away. Like set the timer on your phone. And, like throw your phone across the room. Okay, maybe don't throw your phone across the room, but you know what I mean. Like take a timer and just put your phone somewhere else, and and sit for twenty minutes, either at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day, if you can squeeze it in, and just be present to God, and just sit there and just say, God, like I just want to be present to you, and and I, I'm gonna sit in silence and just not really think about anything else except for you and and. You know, your mercy, or, or even if you want to tie it in, do Lexio, read the verses, the, the, the gospel of the day, and just sit there with it. And 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 I challenge you for, for at least this, this week, right? Till we, till we come back to our next episode. See if, if God does not give you a word. And, and what I mean a word, I mean like something like uh, uh, you're going to be like, wow, like God, thank you for that because I needed to hear that. I needed to live that. I needed that affirmation. I needed, I needed you to take me to that point. Why? Because we were made to be connected to our creator. Like God never made us to be alone. We were always made to be with him. So when we take time to just connect to him, beautiful things happen. These amazing, amazing things happen. So um, it, it takes time to be, to be in solitude, to be alone. Uh, I think sometimes when we, we think solitude, we also think that it means like I'm a lone wolf, right? And I've heard that so many times. I've heard people say stuff like, Oh well, I'm not made for people. I'm I'm this. I'm I'm a lone wolf. <laughs> I have I have a, a, a black heart. I've, I've, none of those things make any sense, by the way. But we, there are people that have have tried to convince themselves by convincing others that they are a loner, and that is the furthest thing from the truth. Solitude does not mean loneliness. Solitude does not mean that you are a loner. Solitude simply means that you are to, you're meant to, and you always were made for your, your presence with God, your time with God. Um, but you're not defined as just one. Yes, you are unique. Yes, you are special. Yes, God has given you a purpose and a reason in this life. And yes, God sees you uniquely. However, you were made to be with others. So our, our relationship with God, it, it strengthens our relationships with other people. Right? That, that's the whole point. Like I said at the beginning of this, this, this portion, is that everything healthy stems from a healthy relationship with God. So uh, John Paul II gives us this awesome quote, which says, Alone man does not completely realize the, the essence of being a person. He realizes it only by existing with someone, and even more deeply and completely by existing for someone. The communion of persons means existing in a mutual for in relationships and of mutual gift. That mutual for is huge, right? Um, another quote from, from John Paul II, it's a, he says that, that the problem is that we look at people as things, right? As not people to be loved, but objects to be used. And, and this is why a, a, lot of, a lot of us are living in this struggle of life because we're, we're looking at the people and we're looking at how can this person better my life and not in a good sense right yes because again when you're when you're looking to date when you're looking to marry and when you're looking to any kind of relationship platonic relationships um yes the people that are in it should better your life like a good person in your life is always going to better your life they're not going to drain it they're not going to pull away but 
the problem is that we've created this, this understanding in society that we need to use people to better ourselves. And, and it's not a, a mutual for, it's not a mutual trade-off where you are bringing me closer to God and I'm bringing you closer to God or, uh, or it's, it's only dependent on, on how you're going to make my life easier and not dependent on anything else. That's a huge problem because it now creates this narrative that the people around me are objects, they're tools, they're, they're an, a means to an end. God created us, right? We hear this, this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, right? Where uh, St. Paul says that, that, the God, that we were made for God and God was made for us. He says that, that that's, a, that's a bold statement. <laughs> that's a very bold statement to say that we were made for God and God was made for us. Uh, obviously, it doesn't, it's not literally meaning that God was created by somebody else for us to use. That's not what it, what it means. But what he means is that even with God, our mutual for, he, he created us to look like him so that we can be him to other people. See, when, when people struggle with their purpose and understanding what they were made for, it, it's difficult because we don't realize that we were made to be these images of God that, that those people who lack love can see love. When we begin to look at people as, as objects, then it's no longer a mutual for, it's more of a mutual use. Right? Mutual for means that we're bringing each other to heaven. We're bringing each other to holiness. A mutual use means that you are a means to an end, and when that end is met, then we're good. That's not a mutual for. I think um, some of us struggle so much with, with this aspect of it because of society, right? The, the societal norms are, when, when you're, especially when you're young, it's like the people you date, they, you need to get something out of them. And it's, it's, it's a scary, scary thought because there are so many people that are, are pushing and advocating for uh, financial aspects, right? Saying, and, I, and I, firstly, I have to make this clear. I do agree that as a person, you should persevere. You should give every effort to do the best possible thing you can in your life. But if the person is giving every possible effort and it's not enough for anyone else, then, then that's a problem, right? Because effort and success are two different things. Eventually, right, a person with good effort will be success, successful. There, there is a, an outcome to it. However, we can't measure the value of a person based on the success they've had. And we, we live in a societal norm where people now equate uh, financial and, and powerful success and, and social status as the value of the person. Like think about the, the rampant crisis and homelessness that we have. A lot of people don't look at those people like people. They only see the lack of value in the aesthetic, in the financial. Or, or look at the crisis of, of marriage that's in this, this country, right? Um, statistically speaking, more, more than 50% of divorces and, uh, marriages end in divorce. But interestingly enough, that statistic does not reign in the same uh, strength in, in the religious world, right? Um, I think it's something like 91% of those marriages remain Right, and that that's a that's a, I wish it was a hundred, but that's a great number compared, and and that's because, in those circles, typically not always, but typically, we understand that that the person is is a mutual for that we we are with each other, we're for each other, we're we're meant to be bringing each other closer to God, and not, what can you do for me, not how can I use you. So, this 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 portion that that John Paul John Paul II gives us. Right, JP2, he says that we're meant to live in a mutual four, that we're meant to be living 
and helping and growing with each other. And I think for us to, to generally be happy in this world, we need to get back to that. We need to get away from the things that we have been taught. That ultimately ties us into our, our, our next, next aspect, which is we're going to really dive into next part of the series. Um, we talk about creation of, of Adam and Eve, and we talk about the separation from the rib, well, the creation of, of Eve from the rib, and what that purpose is, and the meaning of that, and the true um, biblical understanding, and, and, and also contextual understanding of that time, right? Because this is the beauty about the Catholic Church, that we, we have so many histories, so rich and so beautiful, um, that we have thousands of years of just development, but unified development, right? You can go to any Protestant church, um, and no, no, this is no shade on any of my Protestant brothers and sisters, but maybe something just to think about and look at, right? Because before October 31st, 1517, before Martin Luther had his wonderful 99 thesis, which I think that's where Jay-Z got that line, I got 99 problems and we won't finish the rest of that sentence because it's inappropriate, but where he had that, that thesis that he put on that wall, um, on a door of the church, that he had all these issues with the Catholic Church, and that he renounced his, his priesthood. Um, before that, we had this understanding of, of, of what Scripture meant and, and, and what it was. And, and to this day, right, they, they might have deviated and come up with their own things, and everyone will go into their own room and come up with their own answer and solution and interpretation of Scripture. We've had this beautiful, beautiful tradition thousands of years that has been refined and, and fine-tuned and we, it's not just reading the scripture, understanding the scripture, it's also understanding the cultural context, right, that's written in. It's also understanding the, the, the environment. So we're going to kind of dive into those, some of those words that mean a lot more. Like when I say a lot more, I mean a lot of us are missing out on the richness of, of, of scripture because sometimes we don't know the, the meaning of, of the cultural context, but we also don't know the full meaning of, of those words. So I, I really want to just in this next next portion of this, dive into that a little deeper. Um, but just, just to kind of close off this this episode, we need to, to really give ourselves time to be alone with God, right? We need to live in that solitude. And, and I said this earlier, and maybe you're, you're just joining, or maybe you skipped forward because I wasn't, my voice was annoying you or something, and you got to this, this last part. But I, I want to echo this, and I want to leave this challenge here before I wrap everything up. And it's just this challenge to, to either when you wake up in the morning or when you go to bed, and I prefer in the morning, right, where you just turn off your phone, or not turn off your phone, but put your phone away from you, set a timer for 20 minutes, and just sit and bask in the presence of God. And, and I promise you, like, your day is going to be completely different. Like the way you interact with people is going to change. The way you interact with yourself is going to change. Right? And, and sometimes there are things that we're, we're struggling with and we need to pray with. Well, if the solitude is present, you're present to God himself. So give yourself this, this, this moment to be present with him. And, and we mentioned before, right, that, that original solitude was, was when God created us and, and created, God created humanity, right, took dust, breathed, grew out of the breath of God into, into the humanity's lungs and and it was just you and him just his creation that he loved dearly present 